0: Welcome to the Travelcast, episode 339. The Travelcast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. This week, we bring you another Travelcast trifecta special, trifecta special number 28, actually. In Trifecta Specials, we bring you three different flash stories by three different authors, but all based around a similar theme. The theme of Trifecta Special number 28, Offbeat Afterlife, Weirdness from Beyond the Grave. Oh, you mean ghost stories, you might say. Nay, my friend, nay indeed. Well, okay, yeah, ghost stories, but not the kinds of things that probably first come to mind when you hear the term ghost stories. Ooh. Ain't nobody making pottery up in here this week. Nobody taking you to visit Christmas past. Nobody chasing Pac Man around a series of endless labyrinths. Nobody watching you poop from the corner of your bathroom completely invisible. Paranormal Activia. And certainly nobody volunteering at the local neighborhood after-school center to help a group of young inner-city kids along with the craft of writing.
1: We don't know where he came from.
0: He just
2: showed up one night. <laughs> you have to promise never to tell anybody about Ghostwriter.
0: Remember that show, Ghostwriter?
2: He's a ghost and he writes to us. Ghostwriter. Ghost
0: Really, is that what Ghostwriter does? He writes to you. Dear Reggie, I feel only anguish and unending cold. From the ceaseless abyss of darkness everlasting, I long only to remember the faint warmth of human touch, if only for a moment, or to once again hear the soft laughter of my two young children. How I miss my children, I have no mouth for which to scream, no flesh for which to scrape at, no scalp that I might beat and claw. Yet, even still, in the choking loneliness of this endless void eternal, I burn with the seething vengeance of Tartarus itself. It's that wife of mine, Reggie, that dirty, cuck-holding whore of a wife, Deborah. Oh, how my enraged, restless spirit longs to end her, to lap at her warmly puddling blood from the very floorboards. Why'd she do it, you might ask? Well, of course, that much is obvious, is it not? Though asking an attitude, risk 11-year-old child to see it at first glance might admittedly be a bit unreasonable. (laughs) For the life insurance policy, my dear Reggie, just one little snip of my Volkswagen's brake cables and she was set. The bitch probably had to get that little mealy-mouthed boyfriend Brock of hers to show her what brake cables even were. Brock, what the f***? kind of name is that anyways? Brock. What she ever saw in that limp dick son of a bitch, I'll never know. But you can bet he's got it coming too. Oh yeah. In fact, I'm gonna save that moon-faced Ray-Ban wearing howdy neighbor ass hat for last, Reggie. And let me tell you, I'm gonna save her every single letter of that stupid f***ing name when I whisper it slowly and ever so softly into the thick black stillness just beside his ear while he sits on the floor clutching the cold, blood-stained pear-shaped body of my grubby harlot of a wife in his shaking arms sobbing prayers to some just and loving god above who will never hear his pathetic pleas for deliverance. You know why, Reggie? Because there is no god, Reggie. Only darkness and there is no justice but that which you rend from the bones of your enemies as your soul is dragged to hell. Anyways, how are things on your end? Your pal. Word. Anyways, none of that same old, same old here. Just what podcast do you think you're listening to, anyways? Let's start things off with a 100 word story. Rock. This week's travel is called Letting Go, and it comes to us from listener Liz Pennies. As we like to do once a month or so here on the Dribblecast, we drew this production from our fan-produced, fan-run, fanzine, the Dribblecast, over at dribblecast.org, where Dribblecast listeners such as yourself pick stories written by Dribblecast listeners such as yourself from the Dribblecast discussion forums and read and produce them. It's good fun. Check out www.dribblecast.org to find out how to be involved. There's absolutely nothing stopping you.
1: Letting Go, by Liz Pennies. So, this is the afterlife, he asked. Yep. Huh, he looked around. What do you do for fun here? Mostly, we just tell stories. What kind of stories? Howie, Dad, things like that. Ah, he shoveled his feet. uh, So, how did you die? Combat training, he replied. My commander told me, never throw your weapon. It's best to hold on to it. Otherwise, your enemy can get it and use it against you. And you didn't listen? No, I listened. Well, what happened then? I forgot to say, unless it is a grenade. You gotta get rid of that shit. When you find a good podcast, it's best to hold on to it unless it's a grenade instead of a podcast. Drabblecasters are people holding on real tight to the Drabblecast. Find out more and participate in both at the forums at Dravelcast.org. Music is Ambience by V-Art. Find V-Art at dogmazicnet dot net slash V-A-R-T.
0: And on to our first feature story this week, listening to it rain by Sandra Odell. Sandra's the happily married mother of two teenage boys, an avid reader, compulsive writer, and rabid chocoholic. Her works appeared in such venues as Jim Bane's Universe, Idiomancer, Andromeda Spaceway's In-Flight Magazine, Pseudopod, and The Drabblecast, as well as the anthologies Fear of the Dark, Triangulations, Last Contact, and Deep Cuts. She's a 2010 graduate of the Clarion West Writers' Workshop. This story first appeared in Fireside Magazine November 2013. So, without further ado, we bring you Listening to It Rain*. By Sandra Odell. Alan found me at Cook Creek, near where it fed into the summer sludge of the North Raccoon River. He dropped down beside me on the log where we used to tell our folks we went fishing. Sometimes we brought home a bluegill or channel cat, but mostly we touched and tasted, lazing in the sunshine, laughing when it rained. Hey Ben, what's up? I hitched my shoulders, kept my eyes on the water. We skipped rocks and didn't say much for a while. The creek talked to itself on the way downstream, and somewhere an angry jay let everyone know it. Without a wind, leaves hung limp as dish rags from the branches, and the place smelled ripe with green and rot, witness to another muggy Iowa summer. Finally, Alan said, You should be heading back down to the cemetery. I don't want to. I dared a quick look at him. New lines crinkled sad at the corner of his mouth. You got to, Ben. You're dead. At least he had the good graces not to mention my face or back. Stitches could put a body back together, but never make it whole. I skipped another rock. Not my fault. How'd he get so old in six months? Black crew cut growing out, a few hairs playing pretend as a beard, something sad and lonesome. I wished I could soothe away. He took a deep breath, and real easy, he said. Yeah, I know, but you still gotta go back. It's Sunday, and your folks might come around after church. Not my problem. I wished I could put feelings behind the words, but I didn't have any no more. Alan leaned back on his elbows, and I risked another look. The sunlight through his shirt hinted at his chest underneath. I kept my hands to myself. He must have seen me looking, cause he turned and smiled full on. Once upon a time I would have gone all warm at the sight, but I didn't have no heartbeat no more either. I didn't have nothing but the cold, cold grave and worms for company. You get the classes you wanted, I said, before he could open his mouth. His smile went away a little, and he looked back at the creek. All but the college placement biology, he said. The words were thick and slow in coming. He cleared his throat. I got Mr. Jager for language arts. I nodded, though not so much as to tear out the stitches under my hair. <laughs> he still got that ugly station wagon? <laughs> the meat-beater? Yeah. He should get himself some decent wheels. Alan laughed. You should have seen him at the game against... Um. He looked away cleared his throat again. We went into silence. I wanted to say a lot of things. I miss you. You have any idea what it's like to need something so bad and not know what it is? I'm scared. Maybe even wanted to cry, but my tears went out of me with my heartbeat, splattered on my bike and the hood of a beat-up 59 Chevy Impala. I looked at my hands, long, waxy fingers, dirt and bits of wood and grass under the nails. I wondered what Alan would do if I put a hand on his arm, leaned my head on his shoulder. Would he wrap his arm around me like he used to, pull away, run screaming because I'm so cold? In all the times I'd wandered from the cemetery, and all the times he found me, I never even so much as let my hand brush against his. I so wanted to touch him, but the wanting came from far away, tucked in a place I couldn't reach no more. My grandpa had no use for Alan's family, said Alan's dad had yellow fever and his mom spent years in one of those camps for the Japanese. Ma always said grandpa was still bitter about the war and that I shouldn't listen to him. Herself, she boasted how she still talked to Alan's mom at the bakery if no other customers came around. Alan and me never cared about what we couldn't and shouldn't do. We just did, because it felt right together. Used to feel right. I picked up a rock. You applied for any colleges yet? He nodded, still looking at the water. I don't know why I can't stay in the grave, Alan. I just can't, you know? I got... I should still... He nodded again. I thought maybe I saw tears in his eyes. You're righteous, smart man. I tossed the rock in the creek. Maybe I'll come visit you in college. Alan smiled. He reached out and touched my elbow just for a second. I almost felt it. The shadows had shrunk and started to grow long again when he stood. Come on, Ben. I looked at the ground, then at him, why he held out a trembling hand because it's time he flinched when i put my palm in his but didn't pull away hand in hand we walked back across shillings bridge to the cemetery i knew my row and place so did alan his backpack and camp shovel sat behind the mound of dirt and splinters just out of sight of any passerbys he let go of my hand and picked up the shovel. There were tears in his eyes when he said, You need to rest, Ben. I eased myself back into my coffin, hand on what was left of the lid. I finally got my courage up. Don't forget me. I hoped it was true when he said, Never I eased, the lid closed, my feet already lonesome for the trail. Alone in the dark, I listened as the dirt rained down on me again. For our next story, we're happy to bring you a story that's first appearing for you here on the Travelcast. A story which is the first professional sale by the author, a story called Passengers by D.R. Grawl. We hope you enjoy. The story is read to you by Paul Huntington, a lawyer, friend, and Tuesday night pub trivia teammate of mine here in Baltimore, Maryland. Go, Mongolian Deathworms. So, without further ado, we bring you. Passengers by D.R.
2: Grawl. Recalling your name is difficult when you're dead. It happens like this you're alive, and then you're dead. You don't remember being alive, and you don't remember how you became dead. Flutie tells me this happens the other way around, too. We couldn't remember being dead when we were alive, either. I was an accountant. That's what Flutie tells me, at least. When you die, you tend to go with these things. You were probably boring, Flutie said once. You didn't do much of anything but count. Was I a good counter? I asked. Probably not, Flutie said. We reside on the metro most days. We spend time inhaling energy and from the passengers. We needed to stay alive. As alive as one can be while dead. Without energy, we'd fizzle out. We disappear. I've never seen this happen, but Flutie guarantees it's a terrible thing. There's a lot of people on the Metro, so there's a lot of energy. We learned to inhale energy from the passengers, who routinely did it to themselves. We should do what they do, I said to Flutie. Maybe that's how we get our energy back. You're just an accountant, he informed me. What do you know about interpersonal relationships? I tried inhaling energy from the passengers using their method. I glared at them, and I looked away as their heads turned. I'd select a spot in front of the door to aggravate them, and I'd wave my hands in front of them to commence an altercation. These methods didn't work, though. I'm an accountant, and people rarely give attention to people like me. But being an accountant has its own benefits. Accountants can fly. And they can do disagreeable things like fart. Stare with an open mouth, and be slightly outspoken without being reprimanded. Flutie routinely asked me if I think things are mixed around. He asked me if I think we've got it all wrong. I remember, he once said, this movie I saw. I think I saw it at least. It was about a family living in a haunted house. What happens in the movie? I asked. It turns out they're actually spirits, and the spirits in the house our living family. They're alive. I looked out the window, and I watched the tunnel end. Gravel melted across the glass. I think, Flutie said, the movie was called Air Bud. It was getting light out. We usually got on just before sunrise, because that's when the passengers have the most energy. We bob around, listen to conversations, and absorb the tingles erupting from the passengers. The conversations go like this. One person begins to talk to another person, who usually implies they are invisible. I'm not sure why the passengers do this, but I think it has to do with the energy. People don't like giving other people energy, and I think they're afraid of the whole idea. I once asked Flutie why they did this. He said he didn't know. Probably reminds them of being dead, he said. Probably reminds them there's more to things. Another benefit of being an accountant is that you get to spend a lot of time figuring people out. Once the first stage of conversation, the part where one party pretends to be invisible, is over, the talking usually starts. Communication is odd like this and can happen with one person talking and one person not. But after the first stage, both end up talking. If not, one party leaves. Or they hit the second party in the face. In the event the latter route doesn't take place, The conversation soon leads to a proposal of one's lush sexual life or commenting on the color of one another's individual strings of hair. This part of conversation was about to take place when the metro slowed to a stop. Flutie and I had seen the kids before. They were from outside the city where people dress in darker colors and pretend to be dangerous. Being an accountant, I don't think too much about different groups or the things they do. But I remember these kids... They show up once a month, whenever the moon is big, and come into the metro. They usually bring microwaves. They call themselves the Indigo Children and the Banishers. Flutie and I call them the Assholes. So they bring in these microwaves, and one kid, the one with the metal sticking out from his bottom lips, has a thrumming backpack on his back. Flutie goes to suck up the backpack's energy, but I stop him. These are the assholes, Flutie, I say. The assholes. Don't you remember? Flutie reminds me that I don't even know my own name. Besides, he says, they're probably the dead ones. Have you seen that movie? The one where that happened? He approaches the kid's backpack. He floats over the seats and he slides past the holding rails. I didn't know you could do that, I say to him. Flutie, where did you learn how to fly? The kid, the one with the metal stuck in his lips, shivers and a plump girl to his left holds up a piece of squiggly metal. They're here, she says, all around us. Can't you feel them? This happens sometimes. People feel us touching them, prodding them for energy. They usually become upset with us. Then they become upset at one another for not believing they're upset with us. The girl looks to the other kids, the two behind them, and says, Who should I be? Who should I call? One boy behind her, one of the ones with the microwave, says, Be het! Be het! He sets his microwave down, and I can see there's an upside down triangle on his too large t shirt. Sometimes the younger kids pretend to be women, even if they're not. He's one of these. He has very long hair that's black, but blonde at the top. Be het, he says again. It will help you sense them. The girl looks to the others. One of them says, "'Be Persephone! Be Juno! Be Kali, "'I will embody Ishtar,' the girl decides. "'I begin to move away from them. Flutie, I say. "'Get away from them, or you'll get sucked in!' "'The assholes are loud, and their energy is all over the place now. "'It's shell-like. Hollow. "'I'm against the back of the Metro now. "'I move through the door and hover over the metal plates that connect the cars.' The train begins moving, and I slide back into the carriage. Flutie is still sucking the energy from the backpack. Come over here, I say. Flutie, it's really not worth it. Remember what happened to the hat man. Flutie returned to me. Sometimes, being dead fogs up your memory. But the hat man was easy to recall. He was the only other ghost we'd ever seen. That man there, Flutie had to tell me, he's a gardener. The hat man had hovered into the train, his feet pointed down, sliding through the floor as he went. Looks like a gardener, at least, Flutie had said. I have a pretty good eye for these things. Just as the train door had slid shut, the same girl, the one with the backpack, had stood up from behind a woman holding a newspaper. Who's this asshole? I had asked, and watched as she began walking in circles around the hat man. She was holding a microwave then, too. The cord spiraled back into her backpack and was a heap at the top. The Hat Man looked at her and frowned. Several others on the Metro looked at her, too. They made faces. She opened the microwave door, facing the Hat Man, and pressed the power button. That's how we found out we could be sucked into microwaves. I wonder what they did with him, Flutie asks. The girl has the same microwave that was used on the Hat Man. It rests on the orange plastic seat and jitters as the Metro moves. Maybe they let him go, I say. Don't be stupid, Flutie says. That man was a weatherman. Weathermen are useless. Why would they let him go? Why would they want to keep him if he's useless? You don't understand these things, Flutie says. The girl is meditating now, and the others surround her. They wave crystals, say something I can't understand. And then she says, I have become Ishtar. She looks at the metro floor, and I ask Flutie what she's doing. She's Ishtar, he reasons. She's Ishtar, the kids say. She looks back at us, and her hair covers her face. One kid, the one with the indeterminable gender, attempts to talk to her. She puts her palm up to him. Don't talk to me, she says. I'm Ishtar, and I have been known to be mean. The others nod. She's Ishtar, they say again, and she can be very vengeful. The girl is still staring at us. Twitching her eyes and flaking her caked eyeliner. There, she says. Back there, near the door. They're over there. I can sense them. It happens like this. When you're alive, nobody notices you. Then you die, and everyone tries to find you. Flutie and I maneuver around her and approach the others. Can we just go? I ask. We can't, Flutie says. The metro was moving. If we left, we'd be stuck in the middle of a tunnel somewhere, and the next train would roll right through us. This seems reasonable enough, I think, but I was tempted to glide out of the carriage. Flutie could handle himself. The kids turn the microwaves on. There are three of them. They waddle around each other, so as not to trip over the cord, sneaking back to the energy field backpack. They point them in random directions, and as one passes me... I'm jolted with cold energy. Flutie, I say. I don't like these things. They're weird. Don't get too close to them, says Flutie, who is now prone and floating above them. If you do, they'll suck you in. How are they doing this, I ask. I don't know, he says. I wonder what happened to the hat man. And I wonder what being sucked into a microwave would feel like. The girl says, I'm Ishtar, and they're floating above you. Before Flutie can move... One of the kids tilts his microwave up. Flutie's foot becomes a whirl, and it funnels into the microwave. Flutie, I say, are you all right? Before Flutie can answer me, he's all right. He's flushed right into the microwave. I've got them, the kid says. I've got them. He closes the microwave door. I soon forget I'm an accountant. There's nobody here to remind me. It's nice, though. "'because I can be whatever I want now. "'I spend more time on the Metro "'and leave when the assholes show up. "'The girl is always there, "'and she becomes Ishtar on some occasions, "'hectate or frig on others. "'I soon wander down streets, "'looking for energy to eat. "'It isn't hard to find, "'and neighborhood gatherings "'are sometimes better than the Metro. "'They're spaced out, "'and there's room to breathe. "'I wonder what would happen "'if I didn't suck energy.' This makes me think of Flutie. One day, on a sunny afternoon, I find a garage sale. I float around consuming, sucking. I find a table of humming metal objects. I suck up energy there, and I short out a desktop fan plugged into a row of sockets resting in the grass. The man behind the table hits the thing a few times. It refuses to start up. He goes back inside, and he returns with another fan. His wife and infant are with him now, People pass along the street. They look at all the rubbish. I notice a microwave wrapped in masking tape upon a plastic chair nearby. I go to it. I realize I've seen it before. I turn back to the man. He's plugging in the new fan. The wife is coddling the child. Why is that microwave covered in tape? A passerby asks. Being an accountant is like this. Some days you remember who you are, and some days... You don't. The passerby holds up the microwave. He sees it's been rigged at the hinges, and he puts it back down. The man behind the table says, Easy now, easy now. That there's a haunted microwave. He smiles to the passerby. The wife laughs and rocks the infant gently. Haunted, the passerby says. Like ghosts? The man nods. Ghosts, he says. It's a ghost in a microwave. It's up for sale now. It was spooky for a while, but it's a bit run down. I think our little spirit has had its fun. The passerby shakes his head and continues. The wife says, You know, we'll never get rid of that thing if you keep telling stories like that. The man laughs. Well, it's the truth. I'm just letting them know what they're in for. On days like this, I remember being an accountant. The man goes over to the microwave and pats it. The metal claps with each tap. "'I'm going to miss this thing,' he says. "'It was pretty quirky. "'Someone once told me "'that we didn't remember being dead "'when we were alive. "'They said that's why we're stuck "'consuming energy day after day "'and why our memory is so poor. "'But on days like this, "'I remember the smell of my wife's hair "'and I taste the tang of orange juice.' and I can feel mowed grass beneath my feet. Maybe, the man says, if we take off the tape like this, it'll look better to the customers. Set Flutie down a second. Come help me. I can still feel the warmth of the sun, and I wonder if people might begin living, breathing. I float over to the baby and hover above him. His energy pops, and he smiles at me. Behind me, the husband and wife peel the masking tape from the microwave door, bit by bit. The pulled tape howls, and the baby laughs.
0: Finally, we bring you paper clips and Memories and Things That Won't Be Missed by Carolyn M. Yoakum. Carolyn's a photographer and writer currently living in Seattle, Washington. She's published about two dozen fantasy and science fiction short stories in markets that include Asimov's Lightspeed, Interzone, Drabblecast, and Daily Science Fiction. This story first appeared in Apex Magazine May of this year. The story is read to you by Whitney Avalon. Whitney's a Los Angeles-based actor, singer, and writer with a lifelong passion for funny music. She makes her living in film, television, stage, voiceover, and commercials, including appearances on The Big Bang Theory, Days of Our Lives, and Ikea Heights. Her original songs and parodies have been played on The Dr. Demento Show and called hilarious by Perez Hilton. Stay tuned after our show this week for the latest from Whitney's YouTube channel, a princess-gangster rap battle between Snow White and Elsa from Frozen. It's good stuff. All right, on to the story. We bring you paper clips and Memories and Things That Won't Be Missed by Carolyn M. Yoakum.
3: The ghost in my attic is Margaret, but she lets me call her Margie. She was 76 years old when she died, and now that she's a ghost, she sits in her rocking chair day and night, holding a tiny baby in her arms. The baby rarely moves, and almost never cries. His name is Gavin, and he is thin and wrinkly and covered in fine brown hair. Funny looking, as preemies often are, but sweet nonetheless. Margie keeps him wrapped in a blanket of cobwebs, which I think is disgusting. I've always hated spiders. Did you know that ghosts are like pack rats? We collect all manner of things. Barbie hairs and memories and peanut shells and dreams of death. Invoices and autumn leaves and the words on the tip of your tongue. Margie collected Gavin. And now she collects cobwebs from my attic to be sure that he stays warm. Technically, it isn't my attic. It belongs to my husband now. My former husband. He lives in what was once my house, with his new wife and her two kids and a newborn baby boy. The baby looks like Gavin might have, if Gavin had lived. Here is the problem with collecting. Whatever you take, the living no longer have. So, a ghost with good intentions who takes away stubbed toes and sunburns ends up surrounded by pain. A malicious ghost ends up with cotton candy and laughter and baby smiles and. Well, it's hard to stay mean surrounded by all that. That's why most ghosts collect harmless stuff like paper clips and lint. Margie wanted to be good. When she was alive, she miscarried five times. There was something wrong with her, something that kept her from carrying a baby to term. When she died, she wanted to help other women to keep them from suffering the way that she'd suffered. She found a woman, 34 weeks pregnant, whose baby had died because a blood clot cut off his supply of nutrients and oxygen. Margie took the lifeless baby and named him Gavin. The pregnant woman, of course, was me. Remember the problem with collecting? I woke up one morning without my baby and with no real explanation why. The doctors were baffled and I was devastated. I had lost my little boy and there wasn't even a cheek to kiss, no tiny body for me to hold one time before I said goodbye. My friends and family tried to help, but they didn't understand. My husband buried his grief in work and stayed at the office late while I cried myself to sleep. No one remembered the bottle of Percocet left over from when I got my wisdom teeth removed, so no one thought to take it away from me. Margie haunts the attic, so I mostly haunt downstairs. I spent my first few years of ghosthood collecting lipstick from the purses of my husband's girlfriends, but eventually I got over my jealousy. He remarried and... The house is nicer with children in it. Now I collect stray socks from the dryer and baby toys that fall behind the furniture. I'm using the socks to make a quilt for Gavin to replace the terrible cobwebs that Margie uses. I need perhaps a dozen more socks to finish it. In the meantime, I take the toys to the attic and give them to Margie. She died old enough that her memory is bad and she doesn't remember that the baby she holds is my son. She simply sits in her rocking chair and cuddles his tiny body up against her chest. She tells him how his mother would have loved him if he'd lived. And she gives him the toys that I bring. All ghosts are collectors, even my unborn baby boy. He collects static from the radio, and warm water from the bath, and muffled voices that come up through the ceiling. Anything that reminds him of the womb. He is trying to recreate me. I am tempted, sometimes, to collect my husband's new baby. He is pudgy and gurgly and just starting to smile. But he isn't my baby and I know all too well the pain that it would cause if I took him from his family. So instead, I haunt the house that once was mine and listen to the children's laughter and try to collect only little things that won't be missed.
0: that was our trifecta. Hope you enjoyed it. Whether you're holding on to the past or holding on to a grenade, the afterlife is apparently not without its fair share of catches. So, before we close our show out this week, heads up regarding our current flash fiction contest, the Cat with Blue Fur Writing Contest. Submissions have officially closed, and wow, I am seriously impressed with the sheer number of Cat with Blue Fur short stories written and submitted by so many different people in just over one month, a lot of them really fun. We've officially moved on to the fan voting portion of the contest where you listeners out there get to decide the winners by voting for your favorites in each of the three categories, Best SF, Best Fantasy, and Best Horror Cat With Blue Fur Story. Hit up the Travelcast discussion forums whenever you get a break at forums.drabblecast.org. Register for the forums if you never have. It's just a quick five-second thing to verify you're for the most part human. Then vote right there in the first thread, entitled Cat with Blue Fur Contest. You've got till the end of the month to read them all there and then hit the polls. So get on in there and get to it. We'll be producing the three winners next month in our next trifecta special. All right, next order of business. Could the Travelcast fan involvement get even more ridiculously wide-ranging? Of course it could. I mentioned last episode that we have a fun story coming up at the end of the month where we're taking call-ins from you listeners reading lines to be featured in the actual story production. We give out one line from the story needing a call-in every Friday on our social media, Facebook, and Twitter, and also here at the end of each show. So get your phones ready, because I'm about to give you the Travelcast voicemail phone number to dial up, and then I'm going to give you the line. You ready? Waiting on you, Jeremy Mickelson from Denver, Colorado. That's right, I can see all of you out there, but unlike ghosts, insects, the NSA, and other invisible denizens of your bathroom, I choose not to. The phone number to call in and record the line is 410-929-7743. That's 410-929-7743. And the line to record is... Does your wife think that waterboarding crack was funny? Interpret it how you like. Yo, does your wife think that waterboarding crack was funny? Does your wife think that waterboarding crack was funny? Uh, Does your wife think that waterboarding crack was funny? There you go, good stuff. Alright, last order of business this week, our weekly 100-character story winner. Each week, of course, we pick a 100-character story submitted by you listeners on our discussion forums and crown it the week's winner. And our winner this week is first-time winner Waffle with this one here. I thought spider monkeys were cute, until the day I found myself all webbed up, organs liquefying, slathered in Bananas. An informative, cautionary tale born from great personal suffering, to be sure. Think you can write a good story with only 100 characters, not counting spaces? Sure you can. Visit again our discussion forums at forums.drabblecast.org. Look for the TwitFix section. There you'll see where to post and where we draw our weekly winners, as well as other cool stuff, like a handy 100-character sizing tool to make your life even easier. Follow The Drabblecast on Twitter if you have it, at The Drabblecast. Alright folks, that's our show this week. Remember the Drabblecast is brought to you with a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Write us a review on iTunes if you get a chance, blog about us, tell a friend, spread the weird. Special thanks to our episode artist this week, Brent Holmes. Brent once found a small plastic baseball player in the sand, took it home, and left it in a pot with some geraniums. The next morning, his kitchen had ceased being Euclidean. Our program this week is brought to you by managing editor Nathan Lee, our art director Bo Kier, with additional help from Nikki Drayden, Tom Baker, David Carvin, and David Steffen. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, this is Norm Sherman reminding you never to tell anybody about Ghost Rider. Snow
1: White versus Elsa. Let the rap battle begin.
3: It's not lame. My aim here's to tell you the truth, I'll hit it out of the park Like my name is Babe Ruth, got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame The fact that you can't claim the same is really a shame I'm the original princess, you're a copy, copy of, of a, a copy. copy I am porcelain and perfect and your floppy hair is sloppy I'm fragile but agile, rarely cross I am sweet, you can tweet, I'm a treat like a boss Who the hell are you to step to me? An aimless airhead with a vitamin D deficiency? You got no skills cause you're focused on your looks And let's get to what was up with you and those seven schnooks Hi ho! Heard you sing, it's a high pitched chirp. You dopey, you're crunchy. you're a bashful twerp. That squeaky, meek demeanor is an awful choice. I can drown you out right now with my powerful voice. Oh, hey. You should know, that's not singing, you're just yelling. At least now I can't hear the mean lies you're telling. You could've grieved with your sister from the start, but no, you're the one who's really got a frozen heart. You were selfish and deluded when it comes down to it. Had the chance to do better, but like a porn star you blew it. As for your powers, they're hardly legit. You built a whole castle with nowhere to sit. Does it really count as magic if when you let it go? The only thing that moves is ice and snow. I talk to animals and it always impresses. You're just a blonde snowblower in sparkly dresses. That's right, manipulating snow. I'm the best at that game, which means you're under my control, because that's your stupid name. And who eats an apple a stranger gives you? And who needs a man to save and kiss you? I'm savvy, strong, single, and so independent. You're the weakest role model, why I am transcendent. You're a forgotten bygone, yes, time is the cruelest. I'm the newest, the boldest, and literally the coolest. So step aside and hide, go find a cottage to clean. You're one ditzy princess, I'm a motherfucking queen.